And you can turn to page 10 um, in your programs, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, uh, or in your Bibles, to Ephesians 1. Today we begin a new series, and it's called, Who Are You? Have you ever thought about that? Who are you? Anyway, who do you think you are? That's actually a very important question. Are you your family? Are you your job? Are you your associations? Are you your accomplishments? Who are you? And how do you think about yourself? We are going to be looking this series to recover something very important about how we answer that question. Recovering our identity, recovering our purpose, recovering our hope as people who are united with Jesus Christ. Our union with Christ is by far the deepest reality of our life, but most of us don't think about it very much. We need to explore the depths, the unexplored depths, the very real depths of our union with Christ if it's going to make any difference in our life. There's depth and there's length and there's width and there's height to our union with Christ. It impacts everything that we do. It impacts everything we are. So in the next few months, in the season of Epiphany, all the way through most of Lent, all the way up actually to Holy Week, we're going to switch and progress through the dramatic events of Holy Week together. But until then, we're going to be in Ephesians, exploring what our union with Christ means, unfolding this great mystery. And I, I want to invite you to lean in with me to this discovery of who we really are and the great purpose uh, to which we are called. Union with Christ is, as one pastor said, the unseen depths, the unseen depths just below the surface of our lives. It's a bond that brings richness and mystery and power to our existence. And there's not one single metaphor that captures it all. It's so deep and it's so profound that you need actually a whole lot of metaphors to begin to enter in to the fullness of this union. And that's why I love Ephesians, because Ephesians helps us get our heads and our hearts around this great truth, this great mystery of our union with Christ. Today we're going to explore the, uh, the metaphor of treasure. We are Christ's treasure but in weeks to come, we're going to look at other metaphors. We're just going to progress through the book and, look, and explore. We're Christ's heir. Um, we are Christ's family. We're Christ's temple. We're Christ's body. We're Christ's signature. We're Christ's apprentice. We're Christ's bride. We're Christ's warriors. All these metaphors are true. Now, if you're a skeptic of Christianity, this might sound like religious mumbo-jumbo, just stuff that um, makes no real difference in the world, in reality, you might be concerned that, that a preoccupation, a preoccupation, that's a hard word to say, um, a preoccupation with divine human relationship is just a cover for protecting our privilege, for protecting our prejudices. 
Maybe you think it's just a smokescreen. It's just religious talk to cover what you're really after, which is to cover your assets and to cover your privilege and to mask your prejudices. You might be concerned that it's just Jesus talk that makes us numb to the pain of the real world. And if that's your concern, um, I just invite you to pay attention in the coming weeks to the connection between our union with Christ and the needs of our city in the wor- and in the world. Do they connect? Do you see the dots connecting? I want to invite you to articulate your concerns as best as you can and see if your concerns are addressed as we progress through Ephesians. Now, if you consider yourself a Christian and you hear a talk of union with Christ, it might just feel flat. For a lot of us, it, uh, our union with Christ feels like a long-distance relationship. And if any of you have been in a long-distance relationship where you're like carrying on the, uh, the, the relationship by phone or FaceTime or whatever, or email, and it's like, man, this is getting old. There, what, there's been history in this relationship, and there's, there's a real connection here. Um, but the day-to-day experience of this relationship is kind of unsatisfying and distant and thin. And it's over time, kind of, this long-distance relationship is taking a toll on me. And I'm sometimes just ready to walk away and break it up and just see what happens on the other end. Now, if that's where you're at, I'm, I'm praying that this sermon series opens up the lived closeness, the lived union, the lived intimacy, the lived partnership with Jesus that is available to you right now. That's available to you on a Wednesday afternoon when you have a headache. That's available to you now. Okay, so whether you're irreligious or if you are committed Christian, whether you're skeptical or spiritual or both, my hope is that as we progress through Ephesians, as we go deeper and deeper in these coming weeks, that over time we can join Paul in his prayerful praise that is the book of Ephesians when he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessing God in praise and worship as we gather here. Blessing God in prayer throughout the week, communing with him like we would with a close friend, partnering with him like we would with someone that we actually trust. Blessing God as we witness and partake in the communion meal and blessing God as we say no to the daily temptations that assault us. Blessing God as we learn to partner with Jesus in works of mission and justice and loving our neighbor with body and soul, in head and heart, with our breathing and in our living, sacrificing and loving. My prayer is that our church would learn how to bless the Father who has joined us to his Son through the Holy Spirit. And for this to happen, we need to see the realities that St. Paul saw because St. Paul saw realities that led him to this praise, that led him to this worship. Why would a man like Paul overflow with a prayer of blessing to God for spiritual blessings in heavenly places? How is that not just spiritual mumbo-jumbo, disconnected from everyday life? Paul saw reality as it is in Christ, 
He saw the unseen depths just below the surface of our lives. And that vision took his breath away. But our cultural environment conditions us to uh, disregard any reality that we cannot see or that we cannot scientifically prove. If you can't see it, if you can't prove it, it's probably not real. It's probably made up. But if we're going to recover our true identity in Christ, if we're going to recover our true purpose in our union with Christ, we need to see what Paul saw. Let me give you an example of how this works. In high school, I played on the basketball team. Not as the power forward, um, but as the shooting guard, and I played, okay? So during official games, uh, the players um, would wear uniforms. You know, you know how this works? I wore white and blue, a white and blue uniform. I was number 31. Now, everything that happened on that court mattered to me. Um, whether we were winning or losing, how much time there was left in the game. And uh, while the cl clock was running, it just felt like this was the only reality. It was like focusing my mind and heart and attention. Me and my teammates, we just felt like it was, maybe it's not the only reality, but it's definitely the center of reality, whether we win, whether we lose. But the truth is, it wasn't the only reality. There was an unseen to our, in our vantage point, unseen dimension of life off the court uh, that was supporting that, what was happening on the court. So I had a coach on the side who was shouting instructions to us and who had prepared us for that moment. There was a heating system piping in heat, making it possible for us to continue playing so we didn't freeze our butts off in Northeast Ohio. Um, I may have been wearing number 31, white and blue jersey. Um, that was what I could see. That was what the players could see. But there was so much more than that number. I was more than number 31. I was, I was in my parents. I was in Lou and Patty. I had a whole life with them that was not seen on the court, but that was seen off the court a hidden life, as it were, where I was supported, playing, playing basketball with my dad on the, on the driveway, eating meals with my, with my family, the dinner table, conversations that prepared me personally to join a team. If something went wrong on the court, I could retreat to the realities off the court. Both dimensions of my life were overlapping on the court, off the court. What was seen during the game, my jersey and the points on the scoreboard, and what was unseen during the game, like my training and my, my relationships, were both legitimate dimensions of my life. Now, when Paul talks about how we are in Christ and we are given spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, he is referring to the loving, powerful, unseen dimensions to our life that we cannot see with our physical eyes, but we should not ignore with our lives. What happens when players forget about the reality off the court? What happens when, when basketball or, or anything else anybody gives themselves to becomes an all-encompassing reality? Three things happen. Number one, identities become shallow. 
They're not, they don't just wear number 31, they are number 31. Number two, reality flattens. The game is all there is. Really? That would be a very sad existence. The beautiful and mysterious dimensions of life are just totally forgotten. Number three, love is earned rather than received. If you're only a player and you're not a daughter or a son, you'd better play well for acceptance. You don't get hugged if there are no points. There's no dinner table. There's only buckets of Gatorade for you to drink so you can keep playing. (laughs) Shallow identities, flattened reality, earned love. Isn't that where so many of us live our lives here in the city? We don't know about in Christ or spiritual blessings in the heavenly places because they're unseen. And so our identities have become shallow. Our reality has become flattened and our love has become earned. So, beloved people of God, hear this truth. It's unseen, but it's so very true. You are Christ's treasure. No matter how this week went for you, you are Christ's treasure. Whether you feel worthy of it or not, you are Christ's treasure. Whether it feels like a long-distance relationship or just wishy-washy mumbo-jumbo, you are Christ's treasure. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. One scholar translates these precious words in this way. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ and what pleasure he took in planning this. What's a treasure? It's not necessarily a rare stone. Maybe it is. But a lot of other things can become treasures. What will you rearrange your schedule to have access to? That's your treasure. What will you sacrifice your time, money, and energy to fix if it's broken? That's your treasure. What will you risk life and limb to protect? That's your treasure. Treasures are what you'll go through the trouble for. That's what treasures are. I guess my phone is my treasure. Um, Laura calls it my precious. And sometimes I'll say, where is it, where is it, you know, and I'll find it. And Laura's like, you found your precious. When it drops, did it break? Because it means something to me. And I have broken my phone before, and I paid the money to fix the screen. A treasure is what you'll go through the trouble for. And Paul is telling us, you're Christ's treasure. 
your Christ treasure. I love the intentionality behind the realities that verse 4 is pointing to. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Eons ago. Before the creation of the world. The Father and the Son. The Father and Jesus were talking together and thinking together about you in love. This is what Ephesians is unfolding. The Holy Trinity before creation, was thinking about you lovingly. And the Father and the Son determined, they determined that they would go through the trouble to find you and complete you until they were done filling you with glory. Before the foundation of the world, they knew what it would take to get to you, and to win you, and to adopt you. And they had a vision of you being holy and blameless and full of glory. They could picture you before the foundation of the world as fully you, without any blemishes, without any spot, without any hindrances, standing before them full of glory. Forgiven, blameless, personally connected. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Now, predestined is a heavy theological word, but don't miss the tenderness in it. He chose you. He chose you. He chose you. And what trouble he would go through to obtain you as his treasure. What trouble he was willing to to just endure and pour out, a lavish outpouring of gifts and love and life and blood to win you his treasure. Grace for every misdeed. Patience for the time it would take to complete you. Generosity for every act of our selfishness what measures he took to obtain his treasure. What planning, what giving, what kindness, what tenderness, what grace. You are Christ's treasure, and he is your treasure. He chose to pursue you. He chose to make you whole and unite himself to you and choose you for adoption. It's one of the great unseen realities of our life. It's something we talk ourselves out of. It's something we forget. And you might be thinking, you know, no, Jesus seems too distant for this to be true. Why does it feel distant? What some of us have interpreted as distance is actually a process of dogged discovery. Jesus is pursuing you. He's crossing the distance. He's coming closer and closer through every means possible. He's pursuing you. And some of you might be thinking, I'm too deficient to be a treasure. I'm too deficient to be a treasure. You can think of all the things that make you feel unworthy. What some of us interpret as deficiency, Jesus regards as an opportunity to roll up his sleeves. He's been waiting for this. He's been waiting for this. 
Finally, he says, I found my treasure. I've been anticipating this moment for eons of time. I have bled to hold this treasure. I have passed through the sea of death. I've stormed the gates of hell. I've demanded it back. And now that I have it, I'm going to polish this treasure till it shines with a brilliance that is unknown right now. A brilliance that might blind us. This is where I do my best work. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. To the praise of his glory because he can do so much. To the praise of his grace because he offers this to us so freely. In the words of one church father, to the praise of his glory, he can do so much. To the praise of his grace, because he offers it so freely. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And the planning, listen to the planning that he went through to take hold of his treasure. Um, in all wisdom and insight, verse 9 and 10, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's something so beautiful and cosmic about Christ's purposes. What happens when Christ's work of pursuing and finding his people as his treasure, what happens when that process that's happening in each person that says yes to Jesus, what happens when that process comes to its completion? It's happening individually, it's happening corporately, it's happening globally. What happens when all of this comes to its fullness? Recently, I was invited to a birthday party, surprise birthday party for a mentor of mine someone who's invested a lot in me, someone who has changed my life quite a bit. And, um, and so uh, I made the drive out because it was like, I want to honor this guy and be there. And um, found parking, showed up, and I showed up and the living room was just packed with people. It's just packed with people. All, all these people that this, that this man has, has impacted and influenced. There's like no seats left anymore. People are like sitting on the ground like this. You know what I mean? They're just happy to be there. And, and, um, and everyone came ready to honor him. Um, people, some people came with food. And he likes gluten-free stuff. You know, gluten-free, some like some of you. Um, and so there's lots of gluten-free desserts and food and things like that. Um, and so other people had like written songs just for him. And some people had like made speeches for him and and, and, and his wife had prepared like a slideshow of like all his, his life and his time with his kids and things like that. And there was something about our collective presence there unveiling something that this man was patiently doing for years in each of us. It was just this un- beautiful unveiling of what he had been sowing in each of our lives. And there's just so much joy. I mean, this, this went on for a long time, but it never got boring. It was so epic, you know, in my small little world. It was so epic and so beautiful, and there was so much planning involved. Now, to an infinitely greater degree, Christ's treasuring of us is more than just about us. Thanks be to God. 
It's part of the mystery of the Father's purpose to unite all things in heaven and on earth and things unseen and things seen under Christ, to bring creation to its fullness, to its absolute fullness under Christ. Christ has made us his treasure. And you know why? He did that so that he could be our treasure to the praise of his glorious grace. Christ made us his treasure so that he could be our treasure and he's the best treasure that anyone could possess. Verse 11, in him we have an obtained an, an inheritance. We, we get the inheritance in him. He's what we are inheriting having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Here's what this is saying. Christ is our inheritance, and he is the thing that you want to inherit. He's the, he's the will that you want to be on. Christ is our hope, and he is the only lasting source of hope in this world. Christ is our treasure. There is no inheritance on earth worth more than Jesus Christ. There is no source of enduring hope like the hope of Jesus Christ. There is no treasure that's worth our trouble like the treasure of Jesus Christ. It's costly to treasure anything, isn't it? It costs, it costs us to fix our phones and it costs us to, to treasure our relationships and it, and it is costly to treasure Christ the boredom of prayer, the uncertainty of faith, the humiliation of confessing our faults, the time and effort expended to follow Jesus, the money that we give so we don't love it more than Jesus. He's our treasure to the praise of his glory. So worth the cost and more when we take stock of all the gifts we've been given in this life, our union with Christ is the most valuable gift. It's the treasure above all treasures. But what if it feels like a long-distance relationship? And does it do any good in the world? You know, whether we're skeptical of Christianity or whether we're just doubtful that the reality of Christ is our treasure and that we're his, it can be really helpful to hear testimonies of people who have gone before us or who are walking with us. In the last couple of years before his death, Martin Luther King was living in a really razor-edge tension. On the one hand, he was the leader of the civil rights movement, undisputed having won a Nobel Peace Prize, been named Man of the Year by Time Magazine, um, sitting with presidents and power brokers to make big decisions. He was a source of hope for people around the U uh, United States and around the world. Okay, but on the other hand, he had a mark on his back. He, was, he received daily death threats from the KKK, from white supremacist groups, um, and he was being hounded by the FBI. Um, people would call him and say, this is your last time, preacher. This is gonna be your last day. Just get ready. Last time preaching, last time leading. You better shut up. 
every time he walked into the pulpit to preach, every time he, he got up into a community center to, to talk, he was resisted. And he had to show courage. So how did he stay in this tension? How did he handle that kind of pressure? According to his own words, it was his union with Christ that he drew on every single day. Here's what he said in a sermon he gave at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Harlem just two years before his death. Sometimes I feel discouraged, he said. I'm not going to fool you this afternoon, living every day under the threat of death. Sometimes I feel discouraged. Having to face the problems and the frustrations, sometimes I feel discouraged. Many days in Alabama, I felt discouraged. Many days in Mississippi, I felt discouraged. Many days in the ghettos of the North, I felt discouraged. As I have lived my life, I have felt discouraged. There have been times when it was so difficult to sleep at night. I go on and I sing this song. Sometimes I feel discouraged. I feel my works in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. I've seen the lightning flash. I've heard the thunder roll. I felt sin breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of Jesus telling me to fight on. He promised never to leave me. No, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Martin Luther King Jr., in his fight against injustice, rested in his union with Christ as he carried out his work. Jesus Christ covered him, gave him the courage he needed to face down evil and preach good news to the poor. It was available to him, and it's available to you through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. In him, you also, verse 13 says, in him, you also. In him, y'all also. Everybody together. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Martin Luther King Jr. was sealed. I was sealed. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit the moment you believed the gospel of salvation. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit. The personal gift from the Father and Jesus that bonds you now with Jesus Christ. The bond with Jesus Christ. The presence in, of the Holy Spirit in your life now means that your union with Christ is not a long-distance relationship. Jesus Christ is active in your life now. Jesus Christ is present in your life now through the Holy Spirit. The unseen depths just below the surface of the seen life is present to your seen life through the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is active and present in our worship now. He's working through the sacraments of Eucharist and baptism. The Holy Spirit is giving our imaginations the capacity to see our union with Christ, the depths just below the surface. The Holy Spirit marks us as Christ's own forever, marks us, we belong to Christ, we're his treasure. No one else's treasure, no one else's property. And at the same time, it's a guarantee of what we're going to get. I am going to get Christ. I'm going to get the fullness of Christ. I may not feel the fullness of Christ right now. I may not operate in the fullness of Christ right now, but he's mine. 
and it's mine forever and ever to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.